Welcome back, friends, to Shuttlepod at the Disco, where we will be reviewing Season 2, Episode 12 of the La of Discovery. I'm Jared. I'm here with my friend Kayla. Hey, everybody. And my other friend Matt. Hey, guys. So today is the 8th of April, so we've had a couple days to think about it since it came out, and we're excited to share our thoughts with you on the episode Through the Valley of Shadows, written by Bo Yon Kim and Erica Lippolt, directed by Doug Aronikowski. I hope I said that right. Matt, did I say that right? Sounds about right to me. I okay. think so. If not, I hope Doug forgives me. D Doug A. We could just call him Doug A. <laughs> there we go. He's He's been a go-to. This is his third third thing for Discovery. So Very, very, very uh, work workhorseman-like mm -hmm. uh, stalwart contribution to the, <laughs> to the franchise. Okay, Kayla, from Memory Alpha, can you give us a synopsis of the episode so we're all starting on the same page? I would be glad to. All right, so this is Through the Valley of Shadows. A fourth signal leads the USS Discovery to an insular world where Pike is forced to make a life-changing choice. Burnham and Spock investigate a Section 31 ship gone rogue, leading to a discovery with catastrophic consequences. <laughs> hmm. Alrighty, there we go. So, what are our general reactions to the episode, Matt? Uh, well, you know, as far as... If you sort of go on the curve of we know this is filling in stuff leading up to the big two-part finale, I enjoyed it a lot. It, you know, um, I don't have too many quibbles with it, but there are some that I'm we know we all have. <laughs> but it was quite enjoyable. Oh, good. Good. Kayla, what did you think? Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with what Matt said. Um, there, I think there was some great stuff in here. Um, we can highlight some particularly wonderful moments. Um, Anson Mount is a triumph. Uh, oh, yeah. He's fantastic. I, again, like I've been saying, I think probably all along, there are particular details that I will sort of take issue with, but um, I actually thought this was quite a strong episode. Um, I think it stands out from the last you know, handful of episodes. I think this one stands out as having some really, really nice moments. Yeah, and something I'm going to say tying into that, I guess this will be my general reaction, Sometimes with these, and I particularly feel it on the like the Netflix Marvel series when I was still watching those, sometimes there's a seventh inning stretch where there's so many episodes and, and they start to become kind of tedious as they're winding up for whatever the big ending is. Yeah. And this didn't. It felt like a good wind up hmm. yeah. to continue the baseball metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, so, I think they're getting excited because there's, there's a big two-part finale coming next. I think everyone's ramping up, you know. Like yeah, and, and, and this felt like like a, a, a ramp mm -hmm. to build up speed rather than a speed bump where we just they had to fill time. So that that's good storytelling that they were able to pull that out. Yes. My my excuse me, my general reaction to this is that the uh, fantastical elements, which mm -hmm. sometimes they've played with in Star Trek, really more just uh with Klingon stuff on Deep Space Nine and Voyager that they returned to here worked well. It didn't feel uh, out of place. And and hmm. Kayla, I'm interested to hear what your thought of the time crystals w were, but I still thought it was kind of a, a cool adventure there. Yeah. Yeah, we could definitely talk about the time crystals. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll get there we'll, shortly. <laughs> this, this will be time. There will be time to talk about the time crystals. This is not... We don't have the time. The time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's start it off. There was a nice moment where Spock has told Amanda to call and check in on Burnham. Yeah. I like that. And of course, yeah. like, it's got this nice thing where she's, you know, sort of moves from like one mom to the next because she's re reviewing a log from Gabriella or whatever. And then Amanda comes in. And so it's kind of, it's really nice. And of course, we find out Spock did it. And that's. You know, that's that's probably the most, I don't know what the word is, but that's very Spock of him, right? Because Spock's not going to be outright emotional to her, but he cares. He cares enough to basically tell his mom, um, yeah, call call your daughter, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff's rough yeah. on her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sort of reminiscent of in Voyage Home, the whole idea of tell my mother I feel fine type of stuff. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now. We, we in terms of building up the tension, we have this fourth red signal over Borth. Now, have we talked about the artless imagery of these seven signals? 
No. I don't I don't think so, no. But. Okay, so in the book of Revelation, <laughs> the last book in the Bible about the mm-hmm. end of the world, there are mm-hmm. seven angels and they got seven trumpets. And like oh, yeah. the right. seventh seven. one is when the, the world ends. Are there right? seven horsemen right. too? Four horsemen. Oh, sorry. Shows how much that's I know. Okay. Well, that's that's why we do this. Um <laughs> so so I think they're tying into that to try to mm-hmm. have yet yet another biblical reference sure. to tie into this idea of the end of all sentient life. Hmm. Um I, I gotta say, the more they talk about the end of all sentient life, the less it does for me. Same. Because yeah. I'm not really sure. Because it's kind. Of, it kind of reminds me of in the Force Awakens when they say, "Yes, they had the Death Star before, and here's how little it was, and here's <laughs> their new Death Star, and it's bigger." Totally. Right. Right. And I'm. I'm gonna put in. You, you guys know I'm. I'm not a huge Generations fan, but something I love about Generations is that Kirk and Picard are risking their lives over this. Uh-huh bronze age society that we've never heard yep. of right yep. i agree and, or or the end of the the first thor movie thor risks his life to save a tiny town in new mexico that nobody cares about right when the sometimes when the stakes are lower it can actually be more interesting than when yeah the, everything is going to die unless michael burnham can save the day right yeah and and it feels less uh, real think, uh, when the stakes are the end of all sentient life. Or, a lot of movies have that problem where it's the end of the world or it's the end of the universe. Sure. or yep. And it just somehow, I, I totally agree with you, Jared. It makes me feel more detached from the story because I'm like, well, we know that's not going to happen. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also if, if the stakes are small and you still care about it, it means they've earned it. They've totally. built up the emotional stakes somehow, right? Um, we're, we're just saying control is gonna kill all sentient life for some reason right I, I, don't, I don't understand why that's also something that's big that's missing is I feel like there's no motive there's no good villain in this right there's no uh, there's no Khan or General Chang or or even uh, um, uh, Q or whoever right? yeah they're they're, they're, I feel they're really missing like a strong villain to make me feel invested in all this I, I felt like that's why they were trying to have Leland be the face of control um, sure. Yeah. yeah. That sort of works. This episode, of course, they have control be real sneaky. And I actually thought they did a pretty good job of this. It wasn't, I mean, it, you know, it's not like a, a brand new trope that no one's ever thought of to pull a 180 on you. But I thought like the way that it was written to trick you um, and to be like, oh, by the way, this guy is, is control. This guy who Michael is trying to help out. Um I thought it actually played pretty well. I didn't see it coming from a million miles away. Mm-hmm. So it worked for me. No, me neither. Yeah, me neither. Once it happened, I was like, oh, of course it's Same. Did, but like, yeah, I was like, but, I but before felt that, silly yeah, for not like, having oh. seen it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it actually, it worked. It's it, That's a testament <laughs> well, to yeah, the writing. I mean, I mean, it was very smart. It took it took the form of some someone that they knew had served with Burnham before. Mm-hmm. like Because they're going, Burnham is the, is you know, target number one for for control right so like they know most you know top of the most wanted list for control is burnham right like they want burnham so it makes sense Mm -hmm. it was actually pretty well done Hmm. i thought good well well let's let's talk a little bit about burnham learning a revelation about (laughs) revoke and laurel's son oh yeah sorry see what you did there intentional yeah yeah but it's but it's good it's intentional we'll pretend it's intentional yes Um, of course of course it's it's, (laughs) we've been planning this for months Uh, (laughs) right the last 18 months have all been leading up to us talking about burnham right now yeah Yeah, right so she she learns something what matt what does she learn about well uh she learns that of course that that uh tyler when he was voke had a son like had a little baby with laurel and I thought this scene was really nice because, like, instead of being all kind of freaked out and maybe judgy about it, because, you know, you could be. I mean, this is like your former lover. And then in another former life, you could like he's got a kid that no no one knew about. Um, I thought it was really nice because just Burnham just kind of goes, oh, OK, like, I'm sorry that you've had to bear that burden, you know, alone. And Tyler's like, yeah, you know, basically, you know something about that, too. And they just kind of hug each other, and it's very nice. Hmm. It's a nice, quiet moment. Yeah, it's hard for me to be too invested in this thing with the, this storyline with the son, with with Vogue and Laurel's son. Cause oh, it, it's a throwaway otherwise, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's, you know, there are elements to this season that have felt to me very much like a soap opera. 
you mm. know, this is it. like a yep. like a yep. action packed soap opera in space. And this uh-huh. is really mm-hmm. the thing that I think is at the center of that is this thing of like, and they had a baby together, and then it's a yes. secret baby, <laughs> and we have to send it away to live on this other planet, and we're gonna have to fake your death. And the baby's death, and then yeah, I don't know. And then uh, like the whole thing about him like growing up super fast because of the time crystals and whatever time, uh-huh. the time tides, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, in this this uh, place on Borath, this um, like monastery secret place. monastery they yeah. go to it has this some weird timey wimey stuff going on in there um and so he's mm-hmm. grown up super super quickly and so like that aspect of it is cool but it also reminded me of how in soap operas the baby is born and then like the next week it's an adult yeah yeah yes. because they don't want to have a three-month-old on set because for there's, years there's so yeah. a, a limitation for how long they can have the baby there to film <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and for the older the child is the more generous the the screen actors guild rules are Mm -hmm. or maybe department of labor whatever it is yeah Uh, i think it's solid labor stuff yeah yeah so they've done the they've done the same thing with um bordas's child on Mm -hmm. the orphan yeah he he jumps it quite a bit yeah yeah like like seven years (laughs) yeah it's it's so it's really common i mean they did that with alexander Worf's son too yeah he got he got big pretty quick there yeah you know they they did it with molly where she became five in two years i think (laughs) yeah sure i mean it's just that's a tv thing but this is of course way outside of that this is yeah this is uh yeah lord of the rings style magic or something hey hey, but at least they gave us a reason we have to give them that they They did did. they They did did. they tried so i think all this is really just a, a way to start to give closure though for the Laurel and Tyler stuff and we can just like move on yeah because I think we all know where this is probably going by the end of the season so like they have to leave these guys behind you know uh-huh. so at least there's that I think they're just trying to give them some closure yeah so that's good okay and so on this same planet of Boreth which of course was introduced on TNG and Worf went there for his retreat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we learn it's not only the home of the devout Kaleth sect Mm-hmm. But also the time crystal keepers, and I, I think I mentioned this before, but I get a very Bajoran orb vibe from <laughs> very <laughs> much so, especially the way the the guardian Tenevik like speaks about it. He, it you would it's like it's like somebody it's like a Bajoran Vedic talking about an orb. Mm. The way he speaks yeah, about yeah, it. yeah, he did very Although, much. So. Can I can I tell you who he reminded me of that character? Who did either of you ever see the Mortal Kombat movie from like twenty year twenty years ago? Uh, probably yeah, but it's been so not, long. not in I 20 years it. yeah <laughs> okay so christopher lambert plays oh, raiden yeah. the okay. storm god and he's mm-hmm. got that long white hair and he's speaking in riddles and everything <laughs> reminded mm-hmm. me so much of this guy anyway i'm sure they weren't going for that or thinking of it at all but it was just interesting to awesome have that kind of flash to me <laughs> you're like actually it's a it's a secret easter egg to, the, to yes of course <laughs> so we can finally have the mortal Kombat star trek video <laughs> right. game crossover, crossover that we've, we've always wanted for, for years yeah. right right <laughs> anyway okay so and pike goes down to boreth he's got a like like a traditional hero he's got to go by himself and i i, well, I watched that, I, I said, that why note. didn't he take some backup maybe i missed well that. I think that's one of those, like, you're not really supposed to go down there in force because you're supposed to go there and present yourself because it's not for the faint of heart. You know, you're supposed to present yourself as, like, the lone warrior ready to face a challenge kind of thing. Okay, sure. Um, Also, though, I I think it's, like, hilarious that they even had to have this discussion where Tyler's like, I'm going to go down there. And Laurel's like, no, dummy, you're supposed to be dead. Like, of course you can't go down there. And it's like, right. You come on, Tyler. Like you know this. The Klingon Empire thinks you're dead. Like you know you can't go down there. Like I know that it's like as much as you want to or whatever. Like no, you can't go down there. Of course you can't go down there. And they had to like remind him. And it's like, geez, dude. You know the Klingons wouldn't hesitate to kill you for reals if like sure. they already, they already think you're dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why? Why no would? Why would you think? Back. Yeah. Why would you think they would care? But he wanted to have a moment of being like, I want to see my son. and Of course. And I totally understand that. But just like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. You have to be reminded that this warrior race would gladly just disembowel you because you're already supposed to be dead anyway. So <laughs> With, with their amazing looking batlets. Those are some cool ceremonial Those things. Those are beautiful. That yeah. That was that was very nice looking. And and they, they definitely were meant to look. Because Worf's is very sleek and practical. But then there's that Deep Space Nine episode, Sword of Kaelas, yep. where they find, like, the one ring of Batlets. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. they were meant to look like those. So very good attention to continuity there. 
Yeah, I think so. They're inspired by that for sure. Okay, so, so, um, do you want to talk more about the time crystals, the faint of heart? Okay, Pike sees a vision of the future. Right? Yeah, talk about not for the faint of heart, right? Like he's gonna go grab himself a time crystal <laughs> with all these ominous warning warnings, right? That you yeah. know, whatever the past is, the uh, oh, there was a great quote that he had, and now I can't think of it about. There's a veil over like the, the the present has a veil, and if you lift it, there's horrors basically, mm. you know, to be seen. It was it was this good, very like crazy, you know, sort of H.P. Lovecraft kind of thing. A little bit, like, yeah. The, oh, here, the, okay. The I found it. Stuff. I found it in some notes that the present is a veil between anticipation and horror. Lift the <laughs> veil, and madness may follow. Yeah, it's very Lovecraftian, isn't it? Yeah, Lift, it's pretty neat. Um, I thought it's cool though. It's I like cool that. Um, that was nice. Some of the other stuff he said was kind of like mumbo jumbo, you know, kind of like whatever. But I like that quote. Okay, that reminded me of when McCoy in the 2009 movie says space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Though very different deliveries, let's say. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this Pike thing. So I was wondering because if they were going to do something with this, you know, future accident that we know he has. Because um, whenever, you know, Anson Mount has talked about Pike, he's liked to talk talk very, like, uh, sort of mysteriously, but also love to talk about like the three acts of Pike, and okay. that we know like his first act, which is like um, we know his first act, quote unquote, you could say, which is the cage. We get to see the middle, like the second act at you know current day Pike in Discovery, and of course we know his third act, which is he ends up you know horribly uh, disabled and disfigured in the, like ten years from Discovery, you know the present time of Discovery. And so he's talked about that sort of like, oh, we're making meaning out of the second act, like to make meaning for the third act. He said like kind of things like that a lot, which, you know, you could just not read into at all and just go, oh, yeah, because we're setting up like a really great, we're fleshing him out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he's really fleshed out character. Well, now it turns out he was also probably teasing everyone in these interviews because like they actually get to see like his, this third act, you know, kind of thing beyond just him say a few months later in hospital which is basically what all we've seen of him yeah is is a couple maybe a couple months after the accident in the menagerie we just get to see pike so they They, couldn't couldn't, they couldn't resist not showing they couldn't resist it yeah they had to do it and you know i i don't hate it like i kind of just went oh okay they're gonna show it I kind of wish they didn't in a way, but I also yeah, don't have I a agree. problem with it. Like, like you wish it, it had been little... left to the imagination? I think so, because it's it's a smidge like too fan servicey in a way. And like I'm like, eh. Um hmm. but I don't I don't have a problem with it either. I just kind of feel like meh about it. Like I liked it, and of course Anson Mount did a great job. Um I do wish that when they did it, I wish it wasn't so obviously a redressed discovery engineering set. <laughs> considering <laughs> it's supposed to be considering it's supposed to be on like an old freighter or whatever, you know? Hmm. Like I was just like, well, that's so obviously the discovery. Like, this is weird. It looks very like present day, and it's yeah, it's not supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. I actually really liked this, um, and for two main reasons. The first one is just because Anson Mount's performance was incredible. Yes, of course. and yeah. just Always. watching Always. the watching that scene was a complete treat, and it like made me feel various emotions while I was watching it. And it really made me feel more emotionally invested in what was going on. And, you know, so kudos, obviously, to that performance. It was incredible. Um, But also because of the actual story itself. Um, I totally get what you're saying, Matt. And you're saying, you know, like, I wish they had, like, sort of left that. That was always something that was in your mind, something you had thought about a lot. Um, For me, I think it sort of serves two purposes. One is for people who are less who are not as big of fans so i think it's it's there is a non-fan service aspect which is um this is the future of this character and it's sort of bringing people who may know more about pike from discovery than from anything else because he's not a big character or or the the jj movies that's how a lot of people who are newer that's how a lot of people who are newer know him. And, they don't really know. Course. And so now yeah. it's like they don't know the prime version exactly you're, you're bringing those fans in into this story so now they understand more about the character you know you're coming at it from and i think all three of us are coming at this from the angle of we know pike from the original series um from like yeah the cage and the menagerie and now 
um, these other fans yeah, are kind of very good being brought up to speed. Um, and and the point. second thing, the second half of that is honestly for me, um, mm-hmm. it made me care more about what ev- what eventually happens to Pike. Um, sure, he's always been like. I don't want to say a punchline, but it's almost been kind of funny how, like, I, I even laughed in um, the in the JJ movies when they put him in a wheelchair. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, actually that's, right. that's actually kind of a joke the way because it's like, oh, you, now you're in a wheelchair. Like he has like, too to soon, be, and for a different reason, he has to. He has right? to it's be like, disabled really? and like something. Wait, you know. wait, you mean you mean in the JJ movies they sped through things too fast just so it would be familiar, like <laughs> yeah. promoting a cadet to captain? Shocking, isn't it, Jared? Shocking. Yeah. Anyway, yes. But I mean, just the act of him them putting him in a wheelchair made me laugh at that time because it's right. like, oh, right, you yeah. have to make him like right. he has to. You have to disable him in some way, and so. You know, in my mind, he's just Pike is the guy who is in the cage and then well, and gets think, out and uh, then beeps once for yes and twice for no. That's his whole story. <laughs> I agree, and I, I don't, and I think you're not alone with that because you, do you know how many people like if you were like, oh, you know, wrongfully so, but we're just like, oh yeah, Pike's gonna end up in the wheelchair, and I, you don't. Have, I mean, how many times people have had to say, no, that's ten years from now, he's not gonna end like the season two discovery is not gonna end with his accident. Right. That's what he's best but, known I mean, for so is many, that weird baby right. box thing. Right. So many casual fans were like, Oh, well that must be where it's going because that's what they know. Yeah. Like, no, that happens in about ten years. But but, but for the so. for the first time I care about yeah, what happens to Pike to put him in that weird beepy box right. thing. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like like again, it's Mount's stuff. Mount's performance sells it. And again, like, like I say, I don't even like I don't even strongly feel one way or the other about it. I like that they did it. I also could have skipped it. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a problem with it. And of course the way they did it was cool and updated, freaky, honestly. And like mm-hmm. an updated it, you But know, it was true to the original, makeup. I think. It didn't very uh, much so. The way very that they so, made him yeah. look and everything I thought was very yeah. um they showed care for the original. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it, all that. Th- this is also a rare instance where something was introduced in a previous uh, Star Wars. Or, sorry, excuse me. Something was introduced in a previous instance of the franchise and then improved upon in a subsequent instance. Yeah. Right. Yes. I really Because now when you look at Pike, Anson Mount has in the writing has embiggened that character. Yes. And and that's terrific when they can do that because that yeah. that's not fan service. Then that's no, a that's fitting great. Sequel. It's tangible. Right, that part of, that part of it is great. Yeah. yeah. So I really and I, really and I love. This. I I absolutely loved that he you know he sees this vision and again mounts, kudos, you know he you know falls backward basically and clutches his Starfleet insignia to like as a tactile thing to like think about it and he re- and he says to himself kind of like his own personal oath right he's like you're a starfleet captain you believe in service oh, and sure. sacrifice yeah, yeah. compassion like saying a prayer or something yeah yeah and it's like yeah right it's like yeah true there you go in fact i didn't even think about it so just now jared until he said that it's almost like he's clutching rose like he's clutching right? a crucifix right or a crucifix or something right anyway so yeah he's touching his like starfleet insignia and and you know i liked all of that i mean just that was awesome like again talk about fleshing out a character we didn't know much about man love it love that part mm-hmm. and of course he does what he has to do which is like hey okay if this is my future at some point in the future you know that i didn't foresee so be it that's fine give it to me you know i'm gonna take the time crystal i don't care because mm-hmm. that's the whole point he believes in service and sacrifice and compassion you know like so fine that that's where i end up that's not now that doesn't derail me from what needs to be done now yeah yeah was, and and this kind of, this kind of ties into the title of the of the episode, which is another very much so. reference to the twenty third Psalm. I assume I assume that's exactly what the title is is yeah. referencing, really, because that was definitely his walk through the <laughs> shadowy valley, valley the shadow. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like big time. So, but we want to we want to make sure that even though we have this spiritual journey of discovery where we see what a hero was this member of the Star Star Trek family has been for the last 50 years. We're also going to throw in a pointless fight with the T-1000. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, that that part was both cool and a little bit crazy. But like yeah. we sort of talked about earlier, I liked, I liked a lot of the Section 31 subplot this time, like where they were going with the ship. Um, mm-hmm. I liked that. Um, obviously, like, it's kind of interesting to see that, like, sort of in hindsight, of course they were being baited. Like, of course the Section mm-hmm. 31 ship missed a check-in so that somebody would go investigate yeah and and like of course that someone is burnham because burnham can't resist yeah because of course it is 
because Burnham's pissed and also curious and just can't resist it. And so yeah, because she's like Alice in Wonderland. True. Right. Nicely done, Jared. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. I hadn't even thought about that. So well done. Um, I I also want to say that I loved the Spock and Burnham kind of sibling, you know, bickering that went on. That was good. Yeah. Spock's just like, no, I'm coming. Spock's just coming along. That's too bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And she and even gives yeah, like and... an exasperated like, Ugh. yep. Yeah, uh, the, yep. the kind of thing that is a professional only uh, someone you grew up with can get out of you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Totally. So yeah. So that. so you know, and I've been I've been kind of a, an eye roller at the whole idea of shoehorning her into the Spock family, but they're mm-hmm. they're making it work pretty well. They are. They this are episode did well. make it work very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kudos, okay. Doug A. Yes, well done, <laughs> well done, Doug A. Like, oh, well, he was like, directing, so we have to give we're, props we're, to Boyan and yes, and Eric. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now now we have. I just wanted to call back to Doug, Doug A. And... Sure, <laughs> because we're yeah. it's like a third grade class where there are three <laughs> yeah, exactly. boys named yeah. Doug. So there's yeah. Doug A, which, Doug which M, Doug were you talking yeah. to? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the only person who is not a corpsical. Is conveniently Cameron Gant, who Burnham yes. served with on the Shenzo. So yes. we saw this familiar face appear. And I think the last time we'd seen him was in the Mirror Universe, right? Yes, that's right. He was there in the Shenzo in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, again, that was, like we sort of talked about earlier, that was really smart that, like, of all the people that Section 31 uh, reanimates, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's someone that Burnham knows to draw her out and to, like, get her to trust. So. I mean, it tricked Spock, too. Oh, yeah, it tricked everyone because, of course, Spock even says, like, oh, yeah, Control was basically jamming, like, our tricorder, so I couldn't tell he mm. wasn't real. Right. And. And, of course, it of could course, do like, that. They... That makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it, it's a giant all-knowing AI. Why, why couldn't it screw with tri- tricorder you know, yeah. readings or whatever? Sure. And, um, and I mean, it does reanimate living tissue, sort of like it, it. The nanites basically. I mean, that's the creepy part is what they did. What they are not saying is essentially they they're zombies. I mean, effectively, hmm. that's what these are. Is huh. they're like nano Cy- nano controlled zombies. Well, then why yeah. cyborg cyborg zombies? But when she shoots, when she shoots him, and when and then Spock activates some kind of magnets in the floor that pulls them all know, to the floor. We- why does it weird. go into a million pieces? Like what happened to the organic tissue? Did you? It it, le- it left his like dead body on the floor. I don't know if you oh, see it, did? It, but like I thought it just. I yeah, remember just like, like exploding like, into a million pieces, so I missed. If, if I remember right, I think his skin pile basically falls, Ew. and then the nanites come out of it. I don't remember that for sure, though. I have to go back and look. But it's very weird because its nature isn't really clear because it is both or like it both kind of has an organic shell, but really there's nanites like reanimating, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not really clear. I mean, even the visual effects aren't really clear because, like you say, like you can shoot a hole in it and it repairs itself. Right. So it is, but it is both not organic and organic. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, how is that possible? Um, but whatever, it's not really clear. They're, I mean, they're not making it clear, which is okay. We don't necessarily need to know exactly how it works. But um, it might be cooler if, like, for example, if when when Burnham shot him, that mm-hmm. you see it you see a hole go through him and then the nanites fill in that area, but it no longer looks like human skin in that spot. See, that oh, would have okay. been smart. Yeah. That Cause smart. that would make it yeah. seem like, Oh, well I've damaged that biological tissue. So that's cause, cause otherwise it seems like he's basically indestructible and it, but it, it would be that's nice. What it looks like. It would be nice yeah. to think, Oh, it needs the biological. Cause the only thing he needs the biology for is to look human. Right. Sure. Right. It, and it's, yeah, it's to pass, like, it's basically to pass. Yeah. As human. So in yeah. theory, it could operate as a massive nanite, a humanoid shaped mass of nanites, but it wears like man skin to look like a human. And so it'd be cool. That's kind of what I think's going on. Yeah. Here. And so it'd be cool if it showed <laughs> that that, like, the biological component actually can get damaged and that, yes. you know, that's one way to kind of expose him is to Definitely. damage that biological it, part. Well, dang, they should have done that. Actually, I actually think that would have been more effective. But oh well. Yeah. They, they didn't, but they should have, yeah. Just like the producers have discovered, you know, that Kayla Ecovino is is available as a <laughs> consultant <laughs> for season three of Discovery. That's right. That's right. I'm here. But she'd ra- but she'd rather be on the Picard show. <laughs> <laughs> um so of course that ship powers up once they get on board and goes off, you know, to parts unknown because it's a trap, right? I it's mean, a trap. We knew that. It's a trap. <laughs> 
Admiral Akbar could have told him that, but <laughs> yes, that's the wrong franchise. Oh, dude, no. Have well, I've been accidentally saying Star Wars all night, so that's okay. <laughs> have we need we need to have Saru or the Saurian say it's a trap at some that point. That would be great. Right. <laughs> that would be really funny. Yeah. Okay, so sorry, I derailed you. That's fine. No, no, just yeah. So as we sort of talked about, Gantikorsko's kind of T one thousand ish. Instead of being, he's not quite Mercury, but instead he's like a moving mass of nanites, which was freaky and cool to see you know uh-huh. like that was that was a good visual effect that was very freaky and of course like it wants burnham and i think this is the most important part about all this is that burnham's basically like it basically confirms by the way again the universe revolves around burnham because uh it confirms that burnham is like the x factor right like that's the one thing that they, it can't seem to control right it doesn't know what to do with her and so it confirms that yeah it really badly wants to reconstruct which is its little euphemism for basically like killing you and inhabiting you with nanites um it really wants to take over burnham because burnham's the way to the sphere data and it's that's you know otherwise she's sort of a uncontrollable factor so once again burnham everything's about burnham pretty much well i think that's good i have a a feeling that's going to be central to the final I, I think so thesis of the whole se- season is that michael is the so center too. of everything yeah yes, i think I, I think we can maybe we should hold off on that but I, I just real quick i think michael basically realizes she needs to remove herself from the equation hmm. not not by killing herself because right, right. that's kind of like no, a no, euphemism no. for killing herself. but just like i think she's good like okay i specifically and the discovery because we'll talk about that too but have to remove themselves sort of from the equation of <laughs> the current timeline because, because it makes, they'll never stop it makes it fixes canon like they promised if she does that it does right just like they've been saying so that totally fixes it um so i found this was interesting that spock realizes i don't know why he didn't think of this sooner in a way because like of course they're nanites which means like they're made out of some kind of various materials that are would react to magnetism right if they're ferrous and, he, and and spock correctly says as he says they're, they're ferrous, ferrous material right. yeah oh very uh, nice Yes, and so they, he realizes they are, and so he magnetizes the deck plating, and boom, they all you know sort of fall to pieces and are stuck. Um, I don't know, I, I don't know what I, you know. I'm not expert on that, but shouldn't that start to affect you, like people as well, to some degree? Like, wouldn't that start to affect other things you're wearing, like on your suit? Only anything that has ferrous metal in it. Yeah, yeah, but there's got to be some of that on like your suit and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, aluminum, it That's wouldn't affect aluminum. Question. It wouldn't affect brass. Aluminum, it wouldn't. Anything that was steel, it would affect. Steel. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that That's is a true. good question. But if. Well, I guess, you know, in future Star Trek stuff, stuff's made out of like tritanium and stuff. So maybe not. Sure. Yeah. Like maybe that's on a ferrous metal. So. Right. There you go. All right, so so maybe maybe that's not a problem at all. It just it was more of a question I had of like, huh? I wonder if like parts of you though, like, you know, the the, the suit you're wearing, like, would you kind of get sort of stuck to or what? I mean, certainly but the I guess not. the the ma- amount of magnetism that you would need to pull all those things down for, for those things is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, that's what I would think. It's like holy shit because it <laughs> and it acts on them from you know, Leland's what five foot nine something, five foot ten something like that. So. You know, the top of his head, or I guess it wasn't Leland, it was in the form of this other guy. But this guy's like probably almost six feet tall. So they're sure. six mm-hmm. feet away from the ground that's magnetized. So that pulls them down. And it pulls it yeah. all the way to the ground. So that's like, that's a long distance to, for a, a magnet lot. to be acting yeah. over. So it has yeah. to be an extremely strong magnet. Okay. Yeah, now, that sounds how bad. <laughs> would this magnet affect human blood, which has iron in it? That's the other thing I thought it, of. Was, I don't think. Probably over time, right? But not right away. I don't know that it would because I don't know that blood is blood magnetic i don't know i, d- I don't know i if if it were exposed to enough of a magnetic force maybe something bad would happen of course That's it wouldn't question. affect spock because his blood is based on copper so i, I don't <laughs> which i don't c- think that the iron in um i don't think that the iron in blood is has a strong enough magnetic i don't know that it's magnetic at all but if it is i don't okay. I, I think it's extremely weakly magnetic so all i right. don't think it would affect blood okay because no, we're ugly bags of mostly water, mostly water, not mostly iron. Yeah, it's just, I think True. the state okay. that the iron is in within the within the protein is not ferromagnetic. So that's good. And there are things like <laughs> then the, then in <laughs> hospitals and laboratories that have extremely strong magnets, and people can be around them. It's just you don't oh, want to like like True. an MRI or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, makes sense. That's true. That's true. Okay, well, that's good. So now you wouldn't be like pulled to the floor along with all your blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like like that guy in in the second X Men movie when he he gets the blood injected to him by Mystique, played by Rebecca Romjan, who would later come to play Number One, uh, and then he pulls the Magneto pulls the iron out of the guy's blood. Oh right, yes, yes, that yes, yeah, freaky. Probably wouldn't have worked, I guess. Yeah. Just a cool idea. Okay, so do we do we want to talk about this cool fight scene anymore, or do we want to move on to the the more tender moments in the episode? Yeah, I think that's about the it final, for the for that fight scene. It was this. cool magnets. <laughs> yep, cool magnets. T one thousand magnets. <laughs> yep, and, and then of course it just proves that you know Burnham is this X factor that it can't control, and therefore yes, yes, mm. it, yes, it really is after Burnham again. Things are really all after Burnham. Yep, like, she is no, the center no of the universe. Yep, mm-hmm. she is. She is. Mm-hmm. But it, to be fair, it is her show. So yes. True, true, true. Okay, so uh, we got a wonderful reprisal of uh, Jet Reno. Yeah, that was returning. nice. I was glad to see that. I, I was afraid we lot. weren't going to see her ever me again. Too. Me, me too. Me too. Me too. Okay, so so there, there. It's a very lower deck scene where some of the, I guess, the B staff is is there eating, and Stamets is there, and and Jet Reno comes and starts chatting with him because she knows that he kind of needs to be. Um, uh, he needs maybe a little tough love. Yes. So we find Jet Jet Reno and uh, Stamets in in the mess hall, and Stamets is clearly distracted. He's looking over at Hugh Culber, you know, who mm-hmm. um, is sort of moving on with his life, um, like laughing it up and hanging out with other people. Stamets is obviously distracted by this and and saddened by it. And uh, I keep wanting to call her Janet Reno because I thought it was so funny yeah, to say that. Yeah. Um, Jet, yeah. you know, Jet. basically tries to you know give him a give him a little dose of hard truth. He, she's like, "Look, you you can't be dist- you can't be distracted by this. You got stuff to do." And she's trying to kind of give him a a little pep yeah. talk to to get his head out of that sad place. Um, and say, you know, we have these more these important things to look about. You need to go learn about how to do with time crystals and you know there are things that you've got to be doing so you can't be spending your time worrying about this other guy basically um and then later she goes to see the other half of that equation culber in the sick bay um she comes into the sick bay and says you know i need medical attention and it turns out that you know she just has a hangnail mm-hmm. um which is clearly which you takes care of in half a second yeah Right. Yeah, and it's clearly just her excuse to come speak to him, and she's like making that clear that I'm not actually here for medical attention. I need to talk to you, basically. Yes. Um, yes, most definitely. And she shares this really nice um, moment about her past, um, where she talks about uh, having lost her—is it her wife? Yeah. So yes. having killed in the Klingon war. I, I guess technically, would we call her her widow? Would we say that? Yeah. No. She, she she is a widow. She's she's the widow. Yeah. She's the widow. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So she lost her wife in the Battle of the Binaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or and of course. Yeah. Was it the Battle of the Binaries or was it just during the Klingon War? I, I, I don't know if it's she's mentioned. Oh, actually, maybe she just war. said the war. So yeah. maybe it have been I the think war. it might have just been the yeah. war. But in any event, she's yeah, she's relatively recently, you know, in the last couple of years, I guess, lost her wife, and so there's this moment where there's this bit of understanding of having gone through this loss and gone through this big change yeah mm-hmm. having to do with your partner so yeah and i think it kind of you can see it sink in on culver's face a little bit that oh yeah you know yeah. and of course she's using this this the guise of like trying to give him friendly advice the guys is hey i gotta go i've gotta work with your ex and he's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and he's all distracted missing you yeah <laughs> yep so that needs to that which, you need to fix that. That which is a good way to appeal to males is to uh, appeal to our sense of 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 active of action and and our ego in that way. Mm. Like I need you to go do this rather than just telling us something to do. So for someone who's an engineer, she understands the human psyche pretty well. Mm. Yeah, imagine that. She certainly got through to both of them. I think. Yeah, I think so. 
We're also seeing this is the time in Starfleet before they had ship's counselors. <laughs> Boy. So we've people... said it before, but my goodness, if there's any ship that needs one, it's oh this my one. God, no so <laughs> I need to be in therapy. Just watching so, these people go through so, all this stuff. There's, mm-hmm. there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where uh, Kira is talking to Esri. And she says, I would hate to be a ship's counselor. Every day it would just be someone coming to my office and I'd say, you're crazy. Get out of my office. Next patient. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh, man. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Major curious, like two second counseling session. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I need that, though. Uh, Yeah. Sometimes we all do. Sometimes Sometimes you just need a kick in the pants. Sometimes it's appropriate. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, so something that I've liked, and we were, I feel like we're going through a little faster than normal, so I'm going to drop this anecdote that I've thought of. So but, frequently yeah, in Star Trek, when there is some sort of high technology or fantastical element that might solve all the problems in your life, people say, oh, no, we, we, we can't do that, right? It's it's like, uh, you know, Freaky Friday, that movie where the mom and the daughter say, your life is easier than my life. I I'd be I wish I could switch places with you. And they switch places and they realize, oh no, I, I fit in my world, you fit in your world. So instead they don't use magic or Star Trek science fiction to solve a problem. And, and right. the, the, the best example to go back to Generations is the Nexus, right? Where they say, oh, this is perfect. Oh, but it's not real. We can't do this. We have to go back and be heroes. And so something that I like that they did with, that they've done with Discovery is Stamets has said, hey, Hugh died, but I can use this amazing technology I have access to to bring him back, right? So he ha- he didn't say, uh, we, we have this technology, but we must not do it, right? We, we must be like like Kirk and Picard riding out of the Nexus to go be noble humans. <laughs> and so he, said he, was, he was, I don't want to say selfish, but he was very human in saying, there's I, rather than grieve, I'm just going to change the rules. And he did it. But Actually, now that's see- very Kirk of him, because Kirk changes the rules too, you know. That, that's true. That's true. In, ter- <laughs> in terms of the in terms of the uh, uh, Kobayashi Maru, yeah. Uh, but I remember there's like one episode of Deep Space Nine where they find a guy who's living in like a village he's made of holograms. Oh yes, where, uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm. And he says, "This isn't real. I can't stay here." Right. right. And so here instead, Culber has a sci- super science, or I'm sorry, Stamets has a super science way to fix a problem in his life, and he does. Which is is cool that they did it, but now he's got to deal with the consequences. Of yes, it. And, and boy, are there consequences because it's not just yeah. like you just resume what was going on, you know? Like it's a hell of a thing that just happened. <laughs> sure, sure, and and you know who wouldn't do that? And so right. I, I, who wouldn't you know turn back time if they if they had the chance? So mm-hmm. I like that they're doing that they're they're playing with some of these tropes, and and in in order to explore very human dynamics with interesting characters. My one thing, and I've and I've complained about this before. I wish we'd had a chance to get to know them a little bit better before they killed Culber. Yeah. Right. Because sure. him being dead is more the default, right? Sadly. Because he was just, yeah. I mean, he was just sort of a, a bit character, an extremely good-looking background character, <laughs> basically. And then, and then once he died and he's come back, it's been he's been more front and center. But it that that's just my one complaint. But it's it's minor. Mm-hmm. Some of that's real world too, from from what I understand. It's during season one, which uh, yeah, Wilson Cruz was also filming um, Thirteen Reasons Why, and so he wasn't mm-hmm. as available. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so at least that's what he said is is that some of that is sort of real world too. And it's and it, but again, it doesn't help like the plot, right? Like that's a bummer no. mm-hmm. because. It's a disservice to the character that he wasn't well, around. Well, it, it it also shows that they weren't particularly invested in the character if they said, "Okay, we're going to cast a guy who's not going to be here for most of it." Right? He, I, I think. Yeah, they, I don't think they were sure. Yeah, I don't think they knew how much he would be involved or whatever. Initially. Well, and yeah. and then I think when they, they saw a reaction online and when they saw how much people liked seeing him at the uh, at conventions and stuff, they said, "Okay, we'll we'll bring this guy back." I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe. Well, I think he all... was always supposed to be around, but yeah, I think they're going to feature him more. Okay. Yeah. 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 True. True. Yeah. Okay, and and then oh, sorry, Kayla, you had something. Oh, I was just gonna say, there are a couple of things I think we should make sure to talk about. One of them is okay. I think we need to to give a couple minutes to the time crystals. Oh, oh yeah, sure, okay. sure. Just because the, the, it's all the yours. fantastic element that is the time crystal. Yeah, I mean, so so I think I think it's important to talk about this because um, it's obviously so integral to the plot, and it's for me the thing that stands out in this episode that 
is, I don't even want to say the weakest part. I don't think that's the right word to use, but it's sort of the, the thing that pulls me out of the story the most is the whole yeah. existence of the time crystals and the way they fit into the rest of the season and particularly the way they fit into the rest of existing canon. Oh, yes. okay. So that's a lot, that's a lot of stuff there. Wh which parts of the, which part of that do you want to start with? Um, I mean, I think we can, we can talk about all of it. So I think, you know, the, the, on the, the, the most obvious thing is sort of on, on its face, having something like a time crystal, which is a crystal that can manipulate time is just a very, um, it's way too like techno babbly for me. It's way too like this is like unobtainium. Yes, <laughs> very much. You so. know, it's mm -hmm. it's just like let's invent this plot device, and it has or, no or red basis matter. in reality. Or red matter. Yes. It's like red mm -hmm. matter. It's there's, but at least red matter wasn't that integral. Like it was, it was like more of like a MacGuffin sort of in a way. It was like it, the thing that spurred on the rest of the action. But a lot of the action is mm. centered around the existence of the time crystals. It's not like we had a whole, you know, a whole segment of. Star Trek 2009 where they went searching for red matter and they went to the red matter mines on Promethean 5 and then they met the red matter cleric who told them about red matter you know what I mean so like this <laughs> I feel like at least the red matter was like oh it's some stupid thing that's magical moving on and this is like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's these stupid magical time crystals that are really really important and have to matter mm -hmm. and and they're and it's it it already bothered me that they that they had this thing called a time crystal that powered this suit, um, because and again this is sort of extending to the rest of canon. That's that's making time travel an accessible thing. That now now we've established that there's two parts to this. So a now we've established that time travel is this accessible technology. That we just, all we need is this crystal and we can make it happen now. That technology exists. It's documented. Burnham's parents figured out how to do it. They clearly, you know, were if they, all their research notes got burned, someone else would figure out how to do it. That's how things work. You know what I mean? Eventually. So mm -hmm. it's like technology that's out there. And that's not correct. And that bothers me. It's especially when combined with the spore drive, because now they can basically, if they have both of those, then they basically have the TARDIS. They can go anywhere at any time. Right, right, right. The multiverse and anywhere at any time is now open to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. And that's yeah. not true. No. Right. The other part of this is that the Klingons have this planet called Boreth where the they're these this where the time crystals come from i guess and they're the only place they come from and they're these people who guard the time crystals so now we're and the klingons at least the people involved with the time crystals seem to know about the power of these crystals to manipulate time so that implies that the klingons have had access to time travel for a long time yeah long time and that's also not true so those two things actually really bother me about the time crystals which are they're all reasonable complaints and anytime you're dealing with a prequel or with this i guess it's more an interquel because it's between um, <laughs> a lot of stuff uh, oh thank you um then you're going to introduce this problem yeah right like if if discovery like i think it should have been took place 10 years after the destruction of romulus after spock disappears into the kelvin verse mm -hmm. and then they had the spore drive I would be so 100% fine with it that if this was some new thing, right? Yeah. Like they decided transwarp drive, we can't make it work, but we found out this thing. But instead, to shoot it in the middle, it makes you say, "Wait, hold on a second. That can't be." And even yeah. if this were, even if this were closer, like set, say, way in the future, um, the time travel thing would still bother me because I think it's just never a good idea to allow your characters to have full access to time travel. Yes. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. For sure. Um, yeah, it's way too confusing in, in, in and it's less, way too easy to fix problems. In, unless it's like specifically that's all it's about. Like that movie Primer, I think it was called, where it's like this. Did you, Matt, did you see that? Uh, no, I haven't seen it, but, but I know of it. I've heard yeah. good things about it, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like these guys, they're like Silicon Valley startup guys in the 80s, mm -hmm. only instead of computer chips, they develop, develop time travel. And, right. and it's just <laughs> yeah. all about dealing with the problems that. And there, it's not just the cool science fiction. It's also the the craftsmanship of the filmmaking of trying to do all this stuff at once. But it's not 
think jumping blop plopping something that's so powerful into the middle of the klingons the other problem kayla and i was thinking this now that you mentioned this the other problem is what is the whole purpose of the monastery on borath what are, why are they there well the whole purpose in theory is actually there to be um wait for kayla's to come exactly back. So that's what I said. Yeah. okay and if you're waiting for your god and you can hit the fast forward button really easily seems like you wouldn't have to wait very long hmm. well right? i got the impression that Okay, so I thought these were on two different parts of the planet. Well, at least one is a hit, a very is like a hidden, mon, you know, like hidden I, sect I thought, or something. I thought like the place where um, um, Tenevik, super cool name by the way, I just really like that name. Yeah, that's good. I, I thought the place where Tenevik was was like just the time crystal place, and that the Kales place was somewhere else on Borath. Is that wrong? I, they're not clear, but I would imagine that's the case because that's the way that, that's the way it looks. But he also said that the uh, Tyler said that it's the only non-native structure on the planet. That's true. He said the monastery. Oh. So it seems so, like it's. So it's, I heard that and so said, it's "Oh, joint. Must be, it's the same place that Worf went to." Oh, yeah. Worf just doesn't get to know about the time crystals because that's a secret. Like, it's like in a secret cabin or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and yeah. they may be gone by that time. We, these time crystals may take care of themselves in the next two episodes. Possibly, yeah. That's good. I hadn't thought of that. Or maybe the Sulaban come and take them. <laughs> and use them ha- to create the Guardian of Forever 10 million years ago. Oh, my God. Oh, no. That's, that's the weirdest fan-wanky stuff, Jared. <laughs> I'll stop. I don't even have to I'll say stop. about that. I'm sorry. Jared's like, read my fanfic. <laughs> yeah, please. Here's my fanfic. And, and the uh, day is saved by Ensign Whitley. <laughs> awesome. You at least make yourself a lieutenant. Right. Yeah, you can make yourself right if you're gonna write. Oh, you sorry. Oh, sorry. Yes, Lieutenant Whitley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, All right. So that that was my that was like a little bit of a rant, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. It's bothering me. But like I, you know, I don't want to just crap all of this episode because I like I said I really really liked it and I actually really really liked the Pike stuff. This the time crystals are are hard for me. A hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. And I have to say, this episode and was Terralisium, that was the second episode of the season? Yeah. So th- this episode mm-hmm. and Terralisium episodes are my two favorite of the season. Wow. Oh, good. They're standouts for me. Okay, and I'm sorry. So next, and, and the, the episode next week is called Such Sweet Sorrow, which is not from the Bible, that is from Romeo and Juliet. Right. Or Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> Pretty sure Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that came first. It came first, but (laughs) that's right. (laughs) But yeah, gee, like, see again, they're certainly setting us up for quite a, quite something. Even just in that title, obviously, people are going to need to leave. I mean, we knew that anyway. Pike and Uh, Spock and stuff have to go back to the Enterprise. I mean, they're not sticking around. Yeah. Uh, Wait, and then what's the final episode named? I'm trying to find it. We we no, we don't know. They're keeping it. We don't know. Okay. Nope. They're being very tight-lipped. They're not releasing it at all. Yeah, it should be. Dude, seriously, will you take my hand? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so that closes out another episode of the Shuttlepot at the Disco. We appreciate you for coming with us. We have a fun time putting these together, and we appreciate you guys, the fans, who give us the opportunity to put these, to do these every week. Kayla, any closing thoughts? Um, I think you, you wrapped up so nicely. Um Oh, well, then let's, let's, let's stick I'll leave with it. it at let's that. stick the landing. Yeah, stick the landing. Can't, <laughs> well, can't wait to be back again next week chatting about the next episode. Excited to see it's what gonna happens. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Yep, part one of two, big finale. Yep. All righty. Okay, well, take care, okay. everyone. All right, Goodbye. see you Bye, next everybody. time.